Thank you, Mary. Appreciate it very much, and thank you for you that are here this morning. And we pray that as we worship the Lord together through the music, through our offerings, and through the message of the Word of God, then our hearts will be rejoiced, refreshed, and filled, and we'll go away grateful and full of gratitude for what He's done for us. I want us to, uh, well, be in prayer, too. I've not mentioned yet, but uh, uh, we'll have a, a, a single girl missionary coming by on June the 27th, so that's a little ways off, but we'd like for you to be remembering that. Her name is Betsy Resner, and um, she's one of those that when she arrives, you'll know all about it, because she's full of life <laughs> and a, a real bundle, but she's a real joy and a pleasure to be around. Uh, basically, I'm not having her here as a consideration of support or anything, and she knows that, but she's going to be in town uh, caring for this lady's mother while they're on a trip. And so I offered to let her come by here and give her testimony and tell us about what she's going to be doing as a missionary in Canada. So we'll be looking ahead to that, but that's not until June the 27th. So we'll be thinking ahead to that. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We've been in this chapter in the time that I've been here, which is just about three and a half years now, we've been in this chapter several times, and sometimes I feel like, well, you shouldn't go back there. You know, you've already been there and preached out of that and said this or that, and you should go find something else. But uh, I love this chapter for one, and for another, the Lord seems to lead me right back there to it. There's just some things there that I think are choice and precious and and uh, and instructive to us as to where we ought to be as Christians and how we ought to, to live and what it is that will ensure for us the promised reward. Beginning in verse 1, he says there, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it... That is, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, his being, uh, he being dead, Yet speaketh. Oh, what I'm looking at here this morning primarily is simply the, the aspect of the righteousness that these men had. And we're going to look at several of the, well, not individually all of them, but collectively we will look at all of them this morning and here in chapter 11 of those who had witness born to them as the scripture literally says there, that they were men of faith. Um, first thing I want to look at is just go down through some of these, and I want us to look at what it was that they obtained faith through, or how they were obtained their righteousness, rather. And they 
received this witness from God that they were righteous. Notice with Abel in verse 4. It says concerning Abel that he offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, and by which he obtained witness, or had witness born to him by God that he was righteous. And that is what that phrase literally means. And don't get the idea that, you know, by doing this, he did this so that he might obtain righteousness, but he was witness to that he was a righteous man because he did bring a more excellent sacrifice than did Cain. And so God, again, it says, testifying or witnessing of his gifts. And so we find that Abel was considered righteous because he brought a gift. And he brought a gift that was pleasing to God, satisfying to God or acceptable to God. If you look at verse 5, it tells us there again, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony or he was born witness to that he pleased God. And so it looks here that Enoch, his whole life collectively was looked upon as one that was pleasing God. And because of that, God bore witness or gave testimony to Enoch that he was a righteous man. And he gives us a little summary there to say in verse 6 that without faith it is impossible to please him. And it cannot be done. Now if you look at Noah, we find that Noah was declared righteous because he prepared an ark. in obedience to God. And in doing so, it says at the end of verse 7, that he was an heir of the righteousness which is by faith or through faith. This righteousness which which comes through faith. Then you see in verse 8, Abraham, he, in obedience to God, left Ur of the Chaldees. And it says he went to a place he uh, should after to which he should after receive an inheritance. And he obeyed and went out not knowing where he went, whither he went. And he sojourned in the land of promise in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him, of the same promise. And so we find that Abraham being declared a righteous man because he believed God's promise concerning the inheritance of this land. And then it claims here that Isaac and Jacob along with him were heirs of the same promise. That is, they believed and adhered to exactly the same promise that Abraham had. Verse 11, Sarah had faith. Her faith was in the promise of a son. And then we find that Isaac later blessed Jacob and Esau 
concerning things to come, he says. Bound in verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. He did it by faith. Jacob, Jacob says when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph. And then Joseph, knowing of the promises that were given concerning the land, requested that they bring his bones out of Egypt and carry them up to the land of promise and bury them there. And then we have all these things that Moses did. Moses had accounted to him several things here. It says there that he chose affliction with the, to, uh, with the people of God rather than to remain in the comforts of, of Pharaoh's palace. He forsook Egypt and left it, left the country. Later, he, in obedience to God, kept the Passover. And then it says, verse 29, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea. Verse 30, the entire nation of Israel, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Verse 31, the heart at Rahab received the spies in peace. All of these individual things that they actually did that resulted in their being called righteous. And they did these things, individual acts of obedience or individual acts of faith that were counted as righteousness. Abraham's was merely believing the promise of God concerning a land that he was to inherit. And then if you begin in verse 32, he begins to give us a, a large number of people. Of course, he says, what more shall I say? You know, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and so on. And he names this long list of, of Old Testament patriarchs and saints that we are familiar with. And he tells about then in verse, um, verse 34, several of the things that they did. Actual accomplishments, experiences, in other words, things that were done through faith. The escaping the edge of the sword and, well, quenching the violence of fire and so on. They turned to fight the armies of, armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again and so on. But notice in verse 35, at the end of that verse, he says, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And so in summing all of these up, why did they do all of these things? Why did they exhibit their faith in God through these, what we would say in some instances would be daring deeds? It was so that they might obtain a better resurrection. In other words, what I'm looking at here and the scriptures focusing on is the fact that these all looked far ahead. Far beyond the earthly time of their own lives to a future period of time when there would be a resurrection. And not only were they looking ahead to a future resurrection but to a quality of resurrection, a better resurrection, 
knowing that the means to obtaining or receiving this better resurrection was only because of or through their faith, the faith which they practiced throughout their lives. Now, he goes on to say, others, in verse 36, others had trial. And he names, not by name, but the the experiences that others had, unnamed people of trials and scourgings and mockings and so on, being stoned and sawn asunder. Uh, They were slain with a sword and so on. All of these various things. Of whom, he says in verse 38, the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. They did all of these things. And they did them by faith. And these all, having obtained a good report, which is actually the same phrase that we saw at the beginning of this chapter. They all had witness born to them, or they were attested by God that they had faith and were righteous. They were counted as righteous because of it. Now, in the writing of this chapter, one of the things, one of the purposes that the author has here is by means of encouragement to these believers here in the book of Hebrews that he's writing to that many suffered just like they were suffering. As a matter of fact, they suffered some pretty severe things in comparison to them. But they did it anyway. And they did it because they knew there was a much greater prospect of a better resurrection and a better inheritance the obtaining of an inheritance that was promised by God through Abraham, a very specific one. And we saw that earlier in this chapter, I didn't didn't really focus on it then, but back in verse 10 regarding Abraham, it says there, he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He looked for something beyond and something above, something heavenly. Earlier in this book, in chapter 3, the writer here admonished these believers here to consider their heavenly calling. Well, that's what Abraham was focused on, his heavenly calling. And he looked ahead to that And because he did, and because he did the things that he did, he was claimed to be a righteous person. Now, one of the things I'm looking at here today is is looking at what does it mean for us or how can we be called righteous? There are, or there is, an aspect of righteousness that comes simply because one believes in Jesus Christ. And it's 
something that we obtain and possess immediately upon faith in Christ, belief in him. But the preponderance of the scripture deals with the aspect of practical righteousness or the righteousness that we obtain because of our daily practice, (coughs) our daily walk, our daily uh, deportment with respect to the promises of God and the faith that we elicit through those promises. Now, of course, the whole goal and the idea is, is we want to be then known as a person of faith. We would like to have God bear witness about us. Just like he did these mentioned here in chapter 11, that we are a person of faith. That we were counted among those who looked ahead and lived our lives in accordance with the promise of a future inheritance. A future inheritance in the heavens. And so that's what we look for. Now, having said that, I want us to go back to Genesis chapter 4 for a moment. And if you're, while you're turning there, if you think about chapter 11 of Hebrews, you see that it begins with this idea of having witness born to by faith. And he ends the chapter with having witness being born to these people, these various saints of chapter 11 by faith. In Genesis chapter 4, we have the experience of Abel given to us here. And he tells us here in verse 2, well, we'll read verse 1. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth or angry and his countenance fell. And that word wroth there means he was hot. Sort of like when you... The hot you get when you see the vessels poking out on somebody's neck. You know, he he was mad at God because God didn't accept his offering. And by the way, that's what the word respect has to do with there. God gazed upon it with satisfaction. And God was satisfied with the offering that Abel brought. But he was not satisfied with the offering or gift or the donation, as it were, which Cain brought. And so we see here that these offerings they were bringing, uh, the word translated offering there does not imply necessarily a sacrificial offering in the sense of a, 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 a blood sacrifice, an animal. And I don't think that's really what's at issue here. 
is the fact that it was a blood sacrifice. As much as it was, the attitude of the one bringing the sacrifice. Because it's as we look at the rest of the scriptures and what these sacrifices are talking about, these offerings, these gifts to the Lord, what did they mean to him? And what was the heart condition of the one who brought the gift? Abel brought a sacrifice that God found very pleasing and acceptable to him. And Cain brought one that was displeasing to God. As a matter of fact, he says there, then in, in um, verse 6, The Lord said unto Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, shalt thou not be accepted? If you do well, that is, if you're pleasing to me, would you not be accepted? And, of course, the rhetorical answer to that would be yes. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And that tells us immediately what the condition of the heart of Cain was. was. It manifested itself a short time later, apparently, in the murder of his own brother. And so God, uh, Cain showed his anger to God because God wouldn't accept his sacrifice. It was like, it was just almost as if, you know, Cain come walking up and just, you know, threw it down, just like we might take our check or our offering envelope and just throw it in the offering plate, you know, begrudgingly as we give our gifts to the Lord. He was unhappy. And God, therefore, was unhappy with him and unsatisfied with him and refusing to accept it. Now, I wanted to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to... Now, in the meantime, of course, through the history of, of Israel, the call of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, their deliverance from Egypt by Moses, and the calling of the nation out into the wilderness and eventually to make their way to the promised land, their settlement and their warring victory in the land of Canaan and the settlement there and then the covenant that they had established with God and the the prerequisites that God had given them in Leviticus, beginning right in chapter 1, for bringing an offering to the Lord. And when it comes to an offering that is without blood, the word translated there for an offering is the same one for offering in Genesis chapter 4 with Abel and Cain. Now, in other words... It was a gift. The emphasis was not on the shedding of the blood there, but on the emphasis of the gift itself. That it was a free will, voluntary gift that they brought to the Lord. 
And in Leviticus chapter 1, when God begins to delineate the means or the methods by which they were to bring their various offerings and sacrifices to the Lord, we find there that they were voluntary offerings as well. They were not commanded to offer these. They were simply told how to bring the offering. And this is the prescribed method and manner in which you will bring the offering. But when we come to 1 Samuel chapter 2 here, in just a, a few hundred years, about we're looking about 350, 400 years later, we come to this man Eli and his two sons. And it tells us in verse 17, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 17, he says, Wherefore the sin of the young men was very great, that is, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. They despised it. Well, it's really not anything different than what Cain did. They despised the offering of the Lord. In other words, it was a begrudging thing for them. And then if you look at chapter 2, verse 29, so that'd just be a few, well, that's on the same page for me just to call them over. He says, Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me, to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. In other words, they were pulling out the best for themselves. You might remember the, how that was to be done. They were to stick the fork in the pot, and whatever came out, that was to be theirs. But instead, they were having them save out the choicest meat for themselves when the choicest was to go to God. And so, again, you see that delineation between the hard attitude here of those who were bringing the offerings as opposed to those who were being accepting of the offerings, Hophni and Phinehas, and being begrudging about it because they only could get what the fork brought out of the pot as opposed to getting what they wanted. And, of course, they did. That's exactly what they did. They took the best. Now, if you'll look at chapter 3, Verse 14, he says, Therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever, or that is literally to the age, as we've seen before. And so because of this sin that he had committed, and his sons had committed, there was going to be no sacrifice that would avail because of the sin they had committed and their begrudging of their gifts to the Lord or the receiving of what God had given them out of the pot. Now, look over at Psalm chapter 20. Or the 20th Psalm, not really a chapter. We looked at this verse some time back. In Psalm 20, verse 1, 
The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend thee. Send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. Remember all thy offerings and accept thy burnt sacrifice. Selah. Think about that. Remember all thy offerings and accept thy burnt sacrifice. Now that word accept means literally just to be fat. But it's talking about the acceptance. It's It's translated as acceptable in several instances. And it has the idea of that which is pleasing or satisfying to God. And so when he says... Accept thy burnt offers, uh, thy burnt sacrifice. He's talking here about burning it up. For God to accept it, it had to be burnt, and He would burn the fat. And you may remember that fire would come down, and it would consume the offering. And that was the manner in which the offerer knew that God had accepted the sacrifice. You know, one could go immediately to Mount Carmel with Elijah. And you remember with the false prophets and how they combated each other through their offerings. And they laid their sacrifices out. And Elijah mocked them. But when Elijah put his sacrifice out, you remember fire came down from heaven and it consumed the sacrifice the fat, it says it even licked up the water that was in the little trench around, the, around that raised area, that raised altar we talked about a couple weeks ago. And that was confirmation not only to Elijah, but to all of those around that God had accepted his sacrifice. That was what he was talking about here. And when that person's sacrifice was accepted... It's what the writer in Hebrews 11 is talking about, that they had witness born to them by God that he was pleased with them, that they were righteous. Elijah was a righteous man. Now, considering that, turn over to Malachi. Let's just jump all the way to the end of the recorded history of Israel. It's not the end of their, their history Because we had, after the book of Malachi, there was another 400 years to go before Messiah would come. But I want us to look here at a few passages using this same word again in chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. Notice what he says there in Malachi. Malachi 1, verses 10 through 13. He says, "'Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for nothing?' Neither do ye kindle a fire on mine altar for nothing, or not. I I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. So God was displeased with them. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye, ye have profaned it, in that ye say, 
The table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness is it, and ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts, and ye brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick, and thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? Well, we know the obvious answer to be expected there was no. Because they brought the exact opposite of what would be pleasing to God, satisfying to him, that which would he would accept as a legitimate sacrifice, well-pleasing to him. Look in uh, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. In verse 12, he says, The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar, out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. So here they were. Bringing their sacrifices, bringing their offerings to the altar, with he says, with weeping and tears and crying, pleading with God that they would accept their sacrifice, their offering that they were bringing to him. And he refused. Why was that? Because they were bringing it according to their own manner and the way they wanted to do it in a manner that was not prescribed by the Lord. Now, no wonder it's not the right verse, not the right place. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. What about us? How can we sacrifice to the Lord? How can we give an offering to the Lord that is satisfying to him, that pleases him? How is it that we can have God bear witness to us that we are righteous? Well, look in chapter 13. In verse 15, it says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. The sacrifice of praise. And do so continually. That is, he says, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate or share, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And so he tells us here, really, that if we are going to be pleasing and satisfying to God, if we're going to do that which is acceptable before him, then he gives us a very simple formula, if you will. But you'll notice that it has to do with the heart. 
it, you know, what he's talking about doing here can only be a condition of the heart that allows a person to do what he's talking about here. That is, to give a, a, a to give thanks in his name, to give the, what does he say there, the fruit of our lips to his name. Now, we can go through the motions and we can say the words as many do today. As we're all prone to do if we're not careful. I mean, how many times have you heard somebody, you know, give a report, somebody got out of the hospital and they go, oh, praise the Lord. Just, you know, as an afterthought. And maybe do that several times a day. Doesn't automatically mean they're wrong, but I'm just saying we can develop such things as habits that we lose touch with our own heart and what it means to give those sacrifices. Matter of fact, you can even do so with tears and crying and weeping, and yet it still not be acceptable to Him. Look at First Peter chapter one. Excuse me, First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter 2, ye also as lively stones or living stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. I want us to look a couple other passages <clears throat> and try to pull that to get pull all this together. Ephesians chapter 5 <coughs> Excuse me. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2 and then keep your finger there in Hebrews chapter 10 and we'll come back to that in a minute. Ephesians 5 Verse 2. And there are many other, well, actually, I got one more after that I want to look up to. There are many others I could we could look up relating to this whole topic. But in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Now, the important thing for us to recognize is that the sacrifice has already been made. And that was Jesus Christ. And it was, it was a sweet-smelling savor to God. He was satisfied. He was well-pleased with the offering of his own son on our behalf. And if we look over at chapter 10 of Hebrews, and verse 10. Hebrews 10 and verse 10. And notice what he says there. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
And in verse 14, he says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. But look at verse 15. Whereof the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember there no more. Now where, uh, where remission of sin there, excuse me. Whew, now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. And so this one time sacrifice, this one time offering fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I got one other I forgot about, and that's Romans chapter one. We're looking at the prospect of being known as or being called righteous, possessing the kind of righteousness that was talked about in Hebrews chapter 11, which all of these saints of this chapter possessed. And we find that it came about by faith. It was because they believed what God had said. And we find in Romans chapter 1 in that very, very, very familiar verse to us where he says in verse 17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. And if you turn over to chapter 10 of Romans and verse 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now we did not go into a long study of Paul's arguments about the law and how it could not bring about righteousness. But the fact is that, as is well demonstrated in the New Testament, Keeping the law was not the thing that was going to bring righteousness to a person. And the mere bringing of an animal or a loaf of bread or a grain offering to the altar in the prescribed manner was not in and of itself that which was going to be enough to, for that person to be called righteous, even though they were obedient in it. But it was what they believed. It was what they clung to as they brought those offerings. What was the condition of their heart? I always like to go back to King David because he set the best example for us that I know of, or at least one of them. That after he had been found with sin in his own life, he did not immediately rush down to the tabernacle and bring an offering to God, a gift. But he simply tells us there in Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken and a contrite heart. 
These are the things that are satisfying and pleasing to the Lord. A broken and a contrite heart. And we can't please God in any other way. So even though these men and women of Hebrews chapter 11 had their faith attested or validated by actual events or experiences, things they did in their lives, it was their faith that God counted them righteous for. It was because what they did was borne out in what they believed. And they believed in what God had promised. Now, how's that going to play out for you and I? Say, well, that's, that was really, that's really a pretty easy message to preach. And I'd be really honest with you. I enjoyed studying for it. And it really is not that hard to, to preach a message like that. And it's not that hard to say we believe it. Or that I believe in the promises of God. That I believe that there is a promised heavenly inheritance awaiting me, reserved in heaven. And I'm counting on that. I believe in that. Where the rubber meets the road, as it were, is what happens when we're out on the street or in the workplace or in the common course of life, and we are confronted with those things which challenge our faith. It's what we do then that makes the difference. So, are we going to bend and give in? Are we going to say, well, I understand, you know, it's like, well, okay, I understand where you're coming from. So even though I know this is what the Bible says, you know, and then we start working our way around to rationalize our way through an action or a deed rather than just standing firm on what we know the Bible says and then acting on that. And so what I'm really simply looking at here is that these men and women of Hebrews chapter 11 put what they believed into practice in the everyday course of life. Whether it was in their job, whether it was in their preaching, or in whatever manner that came to them when a decision had to be made. Am I going to go with what I know to be true? Or am I going to cave in to the pressures of life and the, the pressures of the world? And, and when it throws its cosmological system against me, what am I going to do? When politics are against you, what are you going to do? You're just going to run to the poll and vote and try to get your guy in? When it comes to the faith, when it comes to righteous living, it's the one who stands firm in the promise. It's the one who clings hard and fast to what God has said. Now, I've said, that's easy. I think I've done the easiest part of all right here.
It's when we walk out the door there. It's when we meet with somebody in a restaurant. It's when we meet up with somebody at a store. It's when we run into someone on our job. That's, that's when it counts. That's when it gets tough. That's when the real test is made. And so I say all these things to say to you that when the time comes, and it will come. Because how can your faith, how can your faith be attested to or approved by God if it hasn't been tested? Well, it can. So what I'm saying is when the test comes... What are you going to do? Um, we were sort of talking about this the other day, and Janet, what'd you say? Remember you, what we were talking about? And you, you said that you would, I make up my mind ahead of time what I will do. If somebody confronted me about this, if somebody confronted me about that, and I ran into this situation, and you know what the right thing to do is, if you've already got your mind made up, it's going to be a hundred times easier to be obedient and to do what's pleasing to God than it is to sit there and mull over it and then try to figure out a way around it. It just doesn't work that way. So when the time comes for your faith to be tested, make up your mind right now how you're going to react and what you're going to do. And then the Lord will be pleased with you. And he'll be, you'll be accepted of him. And you'll have that testimony that's pleasing to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, again, this hour. Thank you for the joy and the pleasure of your word and the things that it does to our hearts when it draws us near unto you and causes us us to want to uh, be near you and to be in your presence, to know the love of God coming down from heaven, enveloping us and sweeping over us, And knowing that we are covered by your spirit, Father, and and all of these things that that we treasure in our hearts and desire and long for. And I pray, Lord, that as we walk through this life and as we encounter the various um, issues that we run into as we make our way through this world, our pilgrimage, Father, that we would remain faithful in everything that we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.